have a copy of God's Word this morning, would you open it to the book of Acts, chapter 2? We've been going through the book of Acts, and I saved this passage a few weeks ago just for this day, and so I'm very, very excited about preaching this passage, one of the greatest resurrection passages that we find in all the Scripture. Now, I don't think it was 1956 when the last time April Fool's Day fell on Resurrection Sunday. And now, many of you have noticed I have something on here that I don't normally wear. It's called a tie. <laughs> April Fool's. <laughs> don't get used to it. Uh, but no, I wanted, to, I wanted to put on a little bit of um, my Sunday's best for, for uh, this day because it is my favorite day of the year, as I said before. If you think about the scriptures in general, there's a lot of things in the scriptures that you could almost classify as uh, April Fool's jokes, or I don't really think they're jokes. It's just the way that God works and operates in our life is just always and seems to be always in, th- in ways that we're not expecting them to work, taking the most unlikely of people and doing something amazing uh, through them. And I just wanted to share a couple of them with you in light of today being April Fool's Day. There's several things in the, in the Old Testament that I could point to. Uh, you think about Abraham and Sarah being told when they're 90 years of age that they're about to have a child. Think about that one for a minute. I think about Haman in the book of, in the book of Esther. If y'all are very familiar with the book of Esther, this, this guy Haman who hates the Jews and he, and he builds these gallows because he's prepared this big plan to hang Mordecai, who was one of the Jews alive in that day in the city of Susa. And then all of a sudden the tables get turned and who gets hung on his own gallows? Haman does. That's, that's pretty significant. I think about the Apostle Paul when he was a persecutor of the church on his way to take Christians to prison. The Lord meets him there on the road to Damascus, changes his life forever. Can you imagine the first time Paul came to the believers and said, here I am, I'm a follower of Jesus now? I mean, I know they were waiting for him to pull the rug. Like, that's a big April Fool's right there. But Paul proved himself to become a, from a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel. And then, of course, maybe perhaps the most significant is Resurrection Sunday. When you think about we met together Friday night, we celebrated the cross of Christ. Our our senior pastor, Randy Lockley, preached a a wonderful message. And and basically he says, are you moved by the empty tomb? Have you been moved by the cross? Have you been moved by the reality that Jesus Christ is alive? Because everybody that was there on Friday to see Jesus nailed to a cross, it seemed like that that was the end. The enemy had won. He was not who he said he was. But the good news is that Sunday was coming. And I don't know how many people were prepared for that. As he said, the women went to the tomb that very morning. They went there to anoint a dead body, and they met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God seems to work and seems to operate when it comes to his ways and his plans. And so today, as we look at the book of Acts chapter 2, there is just so much packed into this passage that we obviously can't get to today, but really at the, at the end of the day, this is a story, and everybody loves a good story. I love a good story. That's why the theaters still sell out many times on the weekends when there's a new movie that comes out, because people want to continue to hear and to see and experience a good story, and I want to tell you a story today, but it's really not my story. I could look at Peter, who's preaching this message in the book of Acts, and I'd say, you know, this is Peter's story, but really, ultimately, it's not even Peter's story. Peter refers to David from the Old Testament, and really, if you think about it, David is telling this story years, thousands of years before, about a thousand years before the Christ ever even came, but it wasn't even David's story from the beginning. This is God's story. 
And that's what makes this story so powerful and so significant because God's ultimate story for you and me today is it is a story of hope, it is a story of victory, and it is a story of eternal life. Now, every good story needs a hero. And if you, if you read this passage with me, as we'll do in just a second in Acts chapter 2, there's, a, there's a, a phrase in this passage that Peter continues to say. He repeats it several times in this passage. And, and basically what he's doing, he's trying to bring attention to the hearers of his day. He's preaching there to the Jews of his day, to his fellow countrymen. And he keeps bringing up this one phrase. He says, this Jesus, this Jesus the one who was crucified. This Jesus is the one who God raised from the dead. He continues to bring up this Jesus, and every good story has a hero, and we know that the hero of our story, the hero of the ultimate story, is this Jesus. Now, year after year, as Brother John said, 50 years he's been standing on Easter Sunday and proclaiming the message of the gospel and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can try to tell the story in different ways and try to you know, bring different little highlights and aspects to the story. But at the end of the day, this story never gets old. Has it ever gotten old to you, Brother John? It never gets old. It's impossible for it to get old because it's the only true story that our life exists. It's the purpose and the reason for our life to be here, for us to have purpose in, in our life. It is the one true story of God that never gets old. So what I want to do this morning is I want to introduce you to this Jesus. Now, many of you in this room today, you probably, hopefully, know this Jesus on a personal level and a personal relationship. But there may be some of you in this room today who you just have a a kind of a secondhand knowledge of this Jesus. Maybe you don't have this very intimate working knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to him today. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, I hope that you'll know him more and you'll love him more after today's message. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him because you need to know him. You should know him because there's so many powerful truths in this passage of Scripture that we can learn from Jesus that will help us know why we're here and who he is and how we too can have eternal life. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. So if you look at the book of Acts chapter 2 with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take this verse by verse. I'm not going to read the entire passage. We're going to work through it uh, in sections. But I'm going to begin in verse 22 in the book of Acts. Acts 2, verse 22. This is, again, Peter speaking. And listen to what he says. He's talking to his fellow countrymen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. The first thing I want to share with you this morning about this Jesus is that this Jesus passed the test of perfection. This Jesus passed the test of perfection. Now, some of you are here today. There are those of us in the room today who maybe this is your thought process. I can just never be good enough. I seem to try. The harder I try, the, 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 the harder I seem to fail. Maybe you're here today and you say, I just keep failing and failing and I can't get it right. And some of you are here and just you're so discouraged at the state of your life right now. You're like, you know what? I just, sometimes I just want to quit and I just want to give up. I will never be perfect. I will never be 
good enough. Some of you in this room today are thinking that or have been thinking that just recently. I'll never be good enough. And guess what the gospel says? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes, you're not good enough. You can't be good enough. You never will be perfect. That's the entire point of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is very clear that there is none righteous, no, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all go astray. We are all bound in this, born into this sinful state of corruption and, and our sinful natures have hold of us and, and it just brings separation between us and God. It causes such conflict in our, in our lives and we just have this burden that's, that's on top of us day after day after day. But the gospel is clear that we are guilty before God. We're unable to live up to his righteous standard. That's what this is all about. And so this is actually what I'm, the reason I start here is because this is the very first step of embracing this Jesus. The very first step of us having a, a relationship with the living Jesus Christ is that we have to understand that we aren't good. Amen. That we all have failed the test. And therefore, we need a good and a sinless Savior to pass the test for us. Many of you probably know I, I'm, a, I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing baseball, uh, coaching baseball as well, still to this day. Baseball is a game of failure. You have to be, be okay with failing in baseball. As a matter of fact, the greatest hitters who have ever lived in the game of baseball, they fail one out of three times. 333 is probably the best batting average. You, you'll fail two out of three times if you're the greatest baseball player who's ever lived. So you have to learn to deal with failure. And it's a great life lesson. It's a great teaching moment. But what I want to show you is that in order for us to be made right with God, in order for us to have right standing before God, we got to bat 1,000. Now, for those of you who don't have a baseball background, that may not seem very much of like a big deal to you. But for those of you who have played a little baseball in your past, you understand that it's impossible to bat a thousand. I mean, the, the, the longer you play and the more you play, you realize that I just cannot do that. There's no way on earth I'm going to hit every time I step into the box. That means we can't pass that test. But the Bible says that we must have this perfect standard of righteousness in order for us to be made right with God and to enjoy his eternal presence in heaven forever. That poses a problem for you and me because the fact that we cannot live up to that standard. We need somebody to bat a thousand for us. Amen. See, that's what the life of Jesus, when it says that he was attested by God, when Jesus stepped into the world and he took on flesh and he began to live this life. I can't think there's two, at least two occasions in the New Testament when the father spoke audibly from heaven upon Jesus. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why? Because he bats a thousand for you and for me. He lived a perfect life. He was attested and approved by the miracles and the signs and the wonders. But can you imagine Jesus himself even standing up before his own countrymen saying, which one of you can convict me of sin? Can you imagine any of us standing up in front of our peers and our family and our friends and saying, which one of you can convict me of sin? Well, you better get out your piece of paper and start making a list for me. I'm sure you can find plenty of faults and failures in me, but Jesus had the audacity to stand up and say, which one of you can convict me of sin? But if it was true, then it's not that audacious at all. Amen. Because this Jesus was the only man who was tempted in every way but was without sin, the Bible says. He knew no sin. Nobody could convict him of sin. He lived the life that none of us could live. That's the point of this first step in the gospel message today. You can't do it. He did. 
No other man who's ever walked the face of this earth who is attested by God, perfect and without sin. No one. And this Jesus, being perfect and righteous in every way, can become your righteousness if you're willing to trust him today. Now, there's one thing that's going to keep you from knowing this Jesus, and that's pride. The Bible says that God resists the proud. I want you to think about that for just a second. If you're still wanting to do this on your own, if you're still thinking that in your own good works and your own good merits and your own good efforts, you can make this thing right with God and somehow you can attain salvation through your own doing, then God is actively resisting you right now. He's opposed to you. That's what the Bible says. But today, if you come today and you want to know this Jesus, the first thing that you have to do is embrace this understanding that I can't do this. I'm not good. I do need a Savior. And we have to humble ourselves because it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you humble this morning? Are you humble enough to know this Jesus? But it just gets better from there. Number two, this Jesus tasted death for you and for me. So he was attested by God. He passed the test. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. But look at what it says in verse 23. Peter goes on to say, this Jesus, there it is. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of wicked men. Now, some of you are in the audience today, and this is what you're saying. God could never forgive me for what I've done. Some of you in here this morning, you're saying, I'm so covered up and burdened down with shame and guilt right now. There's no possible way that I can get this right. Some of you in the audience today, you're thinking that there's nothing you could do to make amends for your life of sin. You're thinking, there's nothing I could ever do to pay the debt that I owe to God. And so some of you are even at a place where you understand that you're not good. You understand that you are sinful. But see, the devil has taken that, and he's taken you in a, in a different direction. So instead of embracing the grace of God, he's, he's beating you down with shame. He's beating you down with guilt. He's trying to keep you in a state of par- be, keeping you paralyzed so that you will not turn to God. And he's just saying, you're worthless. You're hopeless. There's nothing you can do. Just give up. But you know what the gospel says? You're exactly right. There is nothing you can do to atone for your sins. There is nothing you can do to get right with God in your own way. Because we can never repay God the debt that we owe. So what did this Jesus do? Well, this Jesus tasted death for you on a cross. 2,000 years ago, under the hands of Pontius Pilate, delivered over by many of his own countrymen, he went to the cross, he tasted the death, he went to the cross for you, he went to the cross for me to address that sin problem that we have. Because there's no other way for us to be forgiven and cleansed and restored to God because of our sin unless we go to the cross of Christ. What a wonderful truth. The Bible says the cross was in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. God planned and purposed his only son to redeem us through his death. This was God's plan A for you and for me. The cross was always the central focus. If you want to be forgiven, if you want that shame, if you want that guilt to be lifted from you this morning, go to the cross. There Jesus died for you. There Jesus had you on his own mind. 
I find it interesting how Peter, Peter kind of gives a general indictment on his own people. They're saying, you Jews, his own countrymen, his own fellow, he said, you delivered him over. Look at what it says. It says, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him through the hands of wicked men. So Peter is kind of, he's kind of giving this general indictment on the Jewish people saying, you're the ones that handed him over. And then he's saying, and then he was nailed to a cross by the hands of wicked men. That's the Roman government, the, the wicked Gentile Roman government that was over the overpower in Israel at that day. And so they nailed him to a cross. But you know, I think about how we could blame the Jews, his own people for sending Jesus to the cross. We could blame the Romans for nailing him to the cross. But you know what? Look at, think about what Peter said later in one of his own epistles. Peter understood that it was really his own sin. Peter said this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, Peter included himself in that indictment. And indirectly this morning, I want to tell you something, whether you've ever thought about it this way or not, but everyone in this room and everyone in the entire world who has ever lived indirectly is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Why? Because it was my sin that held him there. How deep the Father's love for us. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. I can't think of it as anybody else's sin. If I come to Jesus, I come to him understanding personally it was my sin that held him on that cross. And he loved me so much that he was willing to take my place on the cross. But I want to share with you even a step further. Ultimately, nobody took the life of Jesus from him. But he willingly what? He laid it down. So on one hand, yeah, we have some responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, nobody could take his life from him. It was something that he wanted to do, willingly did, to be perfect in God's sight and his plan for salvation for all mankind. He willingly laid his life down. Have you embraced the truth this morning that Jesus Christ tasted death and died on the cross in your place for you? His death was sacrificial. He laid it down. His death was substitutionary. It means he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Amen. His death was satisfying. We just sang in Christ alone, the wrath of God was satisfied. What does that mean? That when Jesus went on the cross, he died in our place and God poured out his anger and wrath and judgment on him and not on us. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we've been crucified with Christ and Jesus took the punishment. Jesus took the pain. He took the wrath and anger of God in our place. It was satisfying so that when it was finished, it was finished. God said, I'm done. I have poured out all my anger on him. And if you want to be spared of God's wrath in the future to come, you have to go to the cross. And it was enough. It was sufficient. So we see Jesus pass this test. He lived the life that we could never live. We see Jesus tasted death for us so we could be delivered from this burden of sin and, and deals with this sin problem that we have, the, the, the guilt and the shame that we carry. But the third thing is that Jesus, this Jesus, raised to life to destroy death forever. I want you to consider something this morning. What if this passage ended in verse 23? Jesus delivered over to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, period. End of sentence, end of story. Think about it if that was the end of the story right there. You wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be preaching. 
we wouldn't have any hope. The New Testament wouldn't exist. The church would be an afterthought. And the Bible says we, above all people on the face of the earth, should be pitied. We'd be the most pathetic people on the face of the earth if it ended right there. But don't you love this little word, this little conjunction, but? What a powerful word. It doesn't end right there. It says, but God, verse 24, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Wow. What a powerful word. God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Now look, this is the most verifiable, historically true event in human history. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross, put into a tomb, dead, lifeless, and on the third day was raised from the dead is the most reliable, verifiable historical event in human history. It's the greatest miracle that has ever taken place on earth. It's the greatest miracle in its scope, in its effect, and how it affects you and me and our, and our existence and the purpose in which we live. It's the greatest miracle in power that God brought a dead man back to life, never to die again. Very important you understand that. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he didn't die again. He's still alive to this day. Amen. And in the, in the implications of that and how it affects you and me today, how it implies what we receive through Christ, the risen one. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the bedrock of the Christian faith. The bedrock. That's why Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Let me ask you this question. Is your life built on the cornerstone, on the bedrock certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There have been skeptics and cynics that have tried to discount or disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years, and yet, far as I know, nobody has been able to explain it away. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Well, here's the reality. Everybody here today, I can say this with pretty much certainty, nobody in here today wants to die. I know that everybody in this room today wants to live how long? You want to live forever. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says God has placed eternity where? In the hearts of men. So in other words, everybody's born and we're always trying to cheat death. We're trying to beat death. We're trying to continue to live forever and ever and ever. That's how we're wired. That's how we're created. And everybody in this room today, nobody wants to die. And yet we all have to stare death squarely in the eyes and understand that this is our great enemy. And this is the one certainty that we cannot overcome. On our own. So the question is, how can we live forever? How, how can I beat death? How, how can I get past this thing? Well, here's, here's the gospel. You can't. You can't. I can't. No one can in their own strength. Amen. Only Jesus can do that. Only this Jesus who overcame the grave, conquered the grave, has victory over death. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the only man to ever live and who died, was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. And I love what Peter says. He says, it was impossible for Jesus to be held by death. Think about that. What's imminent and inevitable for everybody in this room, it's inevitable that we're going to die. The Bible says it was impossible for death to hold Jesus down. 
This Jesus proved once and for all that he is the divine son of God because he was raised by the spirit of God. And what did the resurrection do? Listen, it validated everything that he did. It validated his claims as Savior. It validated his works and miracles. It validated his innocence and righteousness. It validated his work on the cross and the forgiveness of a sin. That's why the Bible says Jesus was raised for our justification. What does that mean? It means that he died on the cross to justify us from our sin to be, to, so that we could be forgiven from our sin. But if he had not raised from the dead, the cross would have meant nothing. I want you to understand that today. Without the resurrection, the cross is just a cruel joke. He was raised for our justification to validate. His, was his, it was God's stamp of approval on Jesus Christ. This was God's exclamation point at the end of the biggest headline that the world has ever seen. Can you imagine? We don't do a lot of newspapers anymore, but I can just imagine a little boy holding up the Sunday morning news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus Christ is alive. Think about it that way. This is the headline of headlines. This is the headline of the centuries. Jesus Christ is alive. Now, some of you may be in here this morning and you're prepared to face the afterlife on your own terms. And you're thinking, you know what, all this Jesus stuff sounds good, but you know, me and God, we're okay. I'll take my chances. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to make it on my own way, in my own way, on my own terms. Listen, I don't know about you, but me personally, my personal testimony is that there's so many other ways and religions and beliefs and efforts and man's works or whatever it is that people put their hope and their faith in to try to, try to have some sense of security, some sense of hope, some sense of believing that, that there is life after death. Some people are just holding on to, to so many other things. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my chances with the only man Whoever died and went into the grave and then came back to life again. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm going to take my chances with that guy. Because as far as I know, throughout all of human history, there's nobody else who's ever overcome the grave. Either he is Lord and he is alive or he's not. I'm taking my chances with the one that I know to be the resurrected king. This Jesus so all of this, because he is God, because he is alive, because he is the resurrected one, the fourth truth about this Jesus is that this Jesus is Lord over all and the only Savior of the world. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip verses 25 through 28. I'm going to say that for the very end. But if you continue down with me a little bit, uh, starting around verse 29, I want you to think about what Peter says here. He says, Verse 29, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he died and it was buried and his tomb is with us to this very day. Now David was a prophet knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set a descendants on, one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses. Now look with me right there in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, who? This Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There are implications today that if Jesus did live a perfect life and if he did taste death on the cross for you and me, and if he was raised 
from the dead, and he did ascend into heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords, then there are implications today that because of who he is, he is seated at the most prominent, powerful place in the universe. He is the supreme Lord and master. He is the king of heaven. There's nobody more powerful than him. And I guess the basic thing I'm trying to communicate to you today is that if you're coming to this Jesus today, maybe some of you right now are thinking, you know what? I do want a relationship with this Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. You're going to have to come to him on his own terms. We don't get to make the terms. Again, Jesus says, I want you to come to me. I'm calling you to come to me, but you've got to be willing to come to me on my terms, not your own. Well, one of the big terms, one of the primary terms that Jesus is asking you and me to come to him in is simply this. He wants all of you. That's that's what it means for him to be Lord. When we surrender and submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord, it means simply this. He has your life now. You belong to him. No questions asked. He is your master. See, some of us, I think, we like the idea of Savior. We like Savior part of Jesus because, you know, we don't want to go to hell. But then when it comes to the rest of our life and how we live this life, we don't necessarily like Lord part as much because we still want a little bit of control. We still want to call the shots in our life. We still don't want to have to surrender and completely submit ourselves to this Jesus. Let me ask you, let me tell you something today. You can't come to Jesus on anybody else's terms but his. If you want to know him, you have to come to him as Lord, both Lord and Christ. In Philippians 2, Paul says this. He says, at the name of Jesus... Every knee will one day what? And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven. Now think about that for just a second. God is offering you and me an opportunity today to come to him on his terms. But he's saying, if you want to come to me on my terms, you have to acknowledge and surrender and submit your entire self to me because I am Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying this. If you want to come to me, if you want to know this Jesus, you've got to bow before me right now, in the here and now, in this life. And it's a glorious privilege for any of us who know Jesus Christ today. I will willingly, gladly bow before this Jesus every day of my life because of who he is, because he is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my love. He is worthy of my devotion. I have no problem bowing before the Lord Jesus Christ today. But the Bible is also very clear that if you do not do that, if you choose to reject Jesus today, unfortunately, you're still going to bow. But it's not going to be on good terms. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess But the gift of salvation today, the opportunity you have today is you can come to Jesus now, bow before him now, confess him today so that you don't have to bow before him in judgment one day. Because you will bow. And that's the beautiful picture of the gospel. He's given you an opportunity today to willingly receive him. They have made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. This is an exclusive claim of the gospel. Lord is his divine authority. Christ speaks of his divine purpose. I'll basically say it to you this way. Jesus put it this way. There is no other way, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father unless they go through me. Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. That's what this passage of Scripture means. 
It means it's exclusive. There's no other way. And I'm going to ask you the question this morning. Either he is who he says he is or he's not. You have to decide this morning. You have to decide. So he passed the test. He lived the life we couldn't live. He tasted death so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He was raised to life so that we don't have to fear death anymore, that we can have victory over the grave. But he, he asked us to come to him in his own terms, on his own terms today, as Lord and as Christ. And here's the last thing that I want to share with everyone in this room today. The last thing is that this Jesus is offering you eternal life today, beginning with a personal relationship. This is what the Easter Sunday is all about, guys. This very Jesus, the one 2,000 years ago who was nailed to a cross, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who lives today, King of kings, Lord of lords, he is asking you, do you want to have this relationship? So I'm speaking to kind of two, two groups of people in this last section right here, two groups of people. I'm speaking to those of you who don't know him. Maybe you've held your hand at him too long. Maybe you've rejected him long enough. And today, just for the fact that you stepped in this church this morning, you just walked in these doors. Maybe you don't even know why. Maybe you resisted it. Maybe you didn't want to come. Maybe you're just doing a favor for your grandmama or your mama on Easter Sunday. I don't know. But somebody may have walked in this room today, and you're just so overwhelmed right now understanding that you need this Jesus. And I'm telling you, he wants you. He's offering you this relationship. He is offering you eternal life. He's saying, come to me. Receive my love. Receive my Life. He desires a relationship with you. Do you know this Jesus? What's keeping you from turning to him today? Do you know him? What's keeping you from turning to him today? Now there's another group of people in the room. And those are hopefully most of us in here, that they already have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're here just like me on, my, on the favorite day of the year, and you're worshiping and you're celebrating the Lord because it's the greatest day of the year because it's Resurrection Sunday. And, you, and just like Brother Randy shared Friday night, we don't just celebrate Easter on Sunday or just this Sunday. We celebrate Easter what? Every day. Because he lives in us. And we can't go anywhere without him being with us. And we talk to him every day. And this, this Jesus is the one that gives us purpose in life. He's the one that is with us always. He's here. We talk to him. We walk with him. We listen to him. That's why we pray. That's why we read the word. That's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why we do everything that we do. Because he is here. He lives in us. Amen. Now, here's the beautiful thing about a believer. If you're a believer in here today, everything that's true for Jesus is also true for you and for me. What does that mean? It means that we've been freed from the agony of death. If you're here and you're in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear death. Praise God. Amen. There's nothing to fear. Death is just, a, it's just a doorway from life. You step in to life. Amen. That's all it is. Nothing to fear. It's like you go to sleep one second, you open your eyes, and you're in the presence of the Lord. That's what death is for the believer. We've been freed from that agony. We've been freed from that fear. And if it was impossible for death to keep a hold on Jesus, guess what? It's impossible for death to keep a hold on you and me this morning if we're in Jesus. Think about that. Death has lost its grip on you and on me. Because he lives, we also shall live. 
Because Jesus was resurrected in a bodily form, guess what? One day we're going to be resurrected in bodily form for those of us who are in Christ Jesus today. And that brings me to that last little section that I want to read as we close. Go back up to verse 25. Now, as I read verse 25, 26, 27, this is a psalm from Psalm 16 from the Old Testament. David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this psalm. And as I read this, I just want you to think about it. Does this describe you? Does this passage right here describe where you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Just be honest with yourself for just a moment. Listen to what it says. I saw the Lord always before me. Is the Lord always before you? Do you live your life in a way where you know Jesus is always before you? He's tangible. He's there. He's real to you. For he is at my right hand and that I may not be shaken. Can you live a life of confidence and faith in Jesus knowing that he's where? He is right there. Right beside you every step of the way. Amen. Therefore you cannot be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Do you, do you find yourself rejoicing in Jesus? Think about that. I mean, that, that should be the mark or description of, of a true Christian is that you just have rejoicing in your lips. You have singing in your mouth. You, you have joy in your heart. That's the, that's the mark of a true Christian. It says, therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, for my flesh also will dwell in hope. Do you have hope today? Do you have real hope knowing that no matter what happens, Christ lives in you? And even if you die, you will live. Amen. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave or to Hades. Does that describe you this morning? Do you know that Jesus will never leave or forsake you? Or do you feel all forsaken? You know, he promises never to leave or forsake you. If you're just willing to come to him, he'll never leave or forsake you. He will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Does your life, is your life a life that's described by living in the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes when you think about the things that Jesus said, it just, it just blows my mind. There was one day when Jesus was walking to go see a friend who had died. Mary, Martha, the Lazarus' sisters, they ran to him, and they're, they're all distraught, and they're just all tore up because their brother has died. And I want you all to think about what Jesus said that day. Think about a man looking at his friends in the wake of their brother's death, and he said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. Did y'all hear that? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me will live even if he what? Even if he dies. And then he said this, and whoever believes in me and lives will never die. Now listen, somebody to make a claim like that, he is either out of his mind or he's the real deal. That's, that's the only two options I can, I can come to. He's either a liar or a lunatic out of his mind or he is who he says he is. And that's where I want to really come down to the final application today. 
is do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Now, if not, here's the good news. You can know him today. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. We're going to have people like myself and Brother John and there are other elders and counselors in this room. And if you want to grab somebody or maybe you just want to talk to who brought you here. Maybe you want to go talk to a friend or a trusted family member, wherever it is. But I encourage you today that if you're wrestling with something right now and there's something missing in your life and you just know that the the Jesus that I just described is not in your life, the good news is today is the day. What a better day than for you to come to know Jesus than on Resurrection Sunday. There's not a better day. So if you don't know him today, I encourage you, strongly encourage you, don't leave, don't suppress, don't push that that down right now. If God's working and dealing with you in your heart right now, don't push that down right now. But here's the other flip side of that. If you do know this Jesus, this Lord, this Christ, this Savior, this risen one, you know what the mission statement of our church is? To know Christ and to what? Make him known. So if you know this Jesus today, what's the joy and the privilege that you and I have? Every day of our life, we get to continue to make him, this Jesus, known to the world. Because if he's in you, you ought to have joy, you ought to have spirit, you ought to have something about you that communicates to the rest of the world that you're different and that you have hope and you have joy and you have life and you have peace and you have all of these things that only Jesus Christ can give you. And that should be different when we go out into the world and we make him known to other people. Very, very simple application today. So I'm going to ask our band, if they would, go ahead and start making their way up this morning. I'm going to ask Joe... And we're going to sing a great song. Y'all, many of y'all probably have heard it. You know, it's called Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can what? I can face tomorrow. There's so many implications in our life because Jesus Christ lives. So as they make their way up, those two questions. Do you know this Jesus? If not, you can know him today. Number two, if you do know Jesus, how are you making him known to the people around you. So as we stand, will you stand with me this morning? We're going to go into a time of response. Again, don't miss this opportunity to respond. Don't let anybody else or anything else or any thought or any embarrassment or anything else hold you back from doing what you need to do this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask our band to lead us in this wonderful hymn. Lord Jesus, you are alive, you are risen indeed, and I thank you that you were good enough I thank you, you lived the life that we could not. Lord, I thank you that you tasted the death that we deserve to carry our burden, to carry our sin and our shame. Lord, I thank you that you have been raised from the dead to give us eternal life, to conquer the grave and overcome death for us. And Lord, I thank you that you are offering today salvation, relationship, eternal life, to anyone and everyone here in this place who wants to know you. And so, Lord, at this time as we sing, I pray as you work in the hearts and lives of those around us, Lord, that there would be nothing to get in the way of someone coming to know you today. For it's in Jesus' name that we all pray and God's people said, Amen. Amen.